Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. John Ossoff and the Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock merged victorious in Tuesday's Georgia runoffs, meaning the Senate is now split 50-50 between Democrats and Republicans, with the vice president able to break any ties. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy, John, and Chris are here to explain what this means moving forward. Before we get into the Georgia Senate runoffs, that clearly was not the only pertinent event to transpire this week. Congress also convened to certify the electoral college votes from the presidential election. Thanks, Dan. I think we do need to note that we are recording on Thursday morning, the day after Congress met to go through the certification process of the electoral votes for president. I think we've all seen the news of what happened at the Capitol as the House and Senate separated to vote on the challenges to the Arizona votes. And we are shocked and saddened at the behavior and the way that things transpired at the Capitol on Wednesday afternoon. We were pleased to see Congress moving forward and taking the votes in the early hours of the morning to certify the electoral votes and to select Joe Biden as the president-elect and Senator Harris as vice president-elect. And we'll be moving forward to January 20th for Inauguration Day. So what are the political implications of Tuesday's Senate runoff results? So a lot of people are looking at the president set in 2001 when we had a, the same situation, a 50-50 split. Everything was split down the middle in terms of budgets. The two party leaders worked together on most decisions. And that amicable split and uh, sharing of the reins of the Senate worked pretty well. Now, having said that, the Democrats will be in control as they were the last time and still control the agenda on the floor. So that will make getting President Biden's nominations across the finish line through a confirmation process much easier. Maybe some of those appointments that were deemed to be a bit controversial will be easier for him to get through, but there will be a lot more need for bipartisanship. And be aware that members do cross the aisle. There are Republicans who will move with Democrats. I think that this whole issue around the $2,000 checks, for example, is something that will happen because there are Republicans who will cross the aisle. And there'll be situations in which Democrats will cross the aisle and join Republicans. So I'm hopeful in that respect. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think the main difference is now Chuck Schumer gets to control the schedule. And that's the real power of 50-50 Congress that the vote is being decided by the vice president. And on January 20th, that will be Kamala Harris. So as John mentioned, this will make it easier for Biden to get his nominees confirmed. First and foremost, ensuring that they get a vote. If they did not control the Senate, Mitch McConnell would not even have to bring up the president's nominees for a vote. 
to the cabinet. That being said, it is worth noting that even while President Trump had a 53-seat majority in the Senate, his most controversial nominees did not get through. And so a very similar situation would be available that if President-elect Biden nominates considerably controversial uh, individuals to offices, it is very possible that in that very tight 50-50, it would not get through. And when we are talking about that 50-50, we are talking about with some considerably conservative Democrats, like Senator Manchin of West Virginia. And when you represent a state like West Virginia, you do not support things like the Green New Deal, Medicare for All. You're from a culturally conservative state, and he is a culturally conservative Democrat. And so people like that are where the power is going to be gravitating to. Others that we've worked very closely with who have conservative ideologies like Kristen Cinema of Arizona will be vitally important in the coming years. But I do agree with John, some issues and topics where you saw that there were a dozen, maybe two dozen Republican senators who supported $2,000 stimulus checks, but that was not brought to the Senate floor because Mitch McConnell did not want it brought to the Senate floor would now be able to be brought to the Senate floor by Chuck Schumer, and those would be able to get through. So if there are a dozen Republicans who support a Democratic idea, those ideas would be able to come to the the Senate floor um, and be passed, particularly because that would be past the filibuster. You know, earlier conversations did uh, exist around possibly ending the filibuster, and to remind people, filibuster is the 60-vote threshold that takes for a bill to be considered and passed in the Senate. And obviously, that creates higher threshold than the 51-vote majority. There has been talk in the past about eliminating the filibuster, but people like Senator Manchin of West Virginia have been adamantly opposed to ending the filibuster, so it is unlikely that we are to see any sort of change in the short term. One of the things that the Senate majority being controlled by Democrats now does make possible, however, is reconciliation. And that is a process that has always only taken 51 votes. Reconciliation is limited to things that are revenue and direct spending, but that will be the primary area that you'll see used. Areas that have been dealt with this in the past include all the tax bills that have gone through were done using reconciliation. And so I see reconciliation being vitally important with the Democrats taking control of the Senate. Other things such as the hearings and the markups will now all be controlled by the Democrats. However, if we look at past presidents in those committees, you actually have to have the same amount of Republicans and Democrats in those committees. So if there's eight Democrats, there'll be eight Republicans in those committees. So a markup can be held, but you still need bipartisanship to get things passed that committee. So I think what this really calls for uh, is work in a real bipartisan middle. The center must hold. And I think NHU has a great reputation for working with moderate organizations on both sides of the aisle, Tuesday group and mainstream group on the Republican side, UDEMs, Blue Dogs and Mod Squads on the Democratic side. Bipartisan organizations like the Problem Solvers Caucus will really be where we can move a healthcare agenda forward in the coming months. And so I think it does present us a number of opportunities, but it will be different than we were initially considering several weeks ago. Speaking of committees, party leadership has been releasing committee assignments for the new Congress. Are there any committee assignments that stand out to you and any that may be good or not so good for NHU's priorities? So, so far in the House of Representatives, 
The committee assignments have been released on the Democratic side of the aisle. And John can go into why the Republicans have not released theirs. At NHU, we look very closely, particularly at three committees in the House, Energy and Commerce, who has jurisdiction over Medicare, healthcare policies, large chunks of healthcare, including the ACA, the Ways and Needs Committee, which has all of tax jurisdiction, and so all the tax implications that affect healthcare, and the Education and Labor Committee that have the effect over ERISA and self-insurance and the employer-based healthcare system. Over at Energy and Commerce, there were several openings, and we were very pleased with the results, particularly in one case. One member of Congress who asked to get on Energy and Commerce was AOC, and so it will come as no surprise that NHU does not have a great relationship with AOC. With her vehement support for Medicare for All and other hard left positions out there. So we're very pleased to see that the Policy and Steering Committee who makes the decisions of where people go on Congress and what committees they sit on did not select her and instead selected Kathleen Rice of Long Island to sit on Energy and Commerce as the New York seat. Overall, there are a number of strong appointments to Energy and Commerce Another one being Angie Craig of Minnesota. You might remember her because she has spoken at multiple capital conference and has been a huge champion of read insurance. So far, we've been pleased about the appointments that we've seen to the committees. And obviously, all the members who've sat on these committees in the last Congress will be sitting on the committees again this Congress. We've had a delay on the Republican side due to the fact that we needed leadership elections to occur first. Speaker Pelosi was again re-elected to the post, and she made an offer on the numbers for the committees to Mr. McCarthy, and uh, Mr. McCarthy has countered with a different number, and so that negotiation has been ongoing, further delaying announcement of Republican assignments. Our expectations are that that will be completed by the end of this week, though given the events of yesterday, it could slip into next week, but I expect that we'll know that very shortly. I know we talked a little bit about some conservative Democrats we'll be working with, but still, many Democrats, including the two from Georgia that just won this week, support a public option. Do we think that the passage of a public option in the next couple of years is a legitimate possibility? I think it's important that those who oppose the public option really spend time communicating that to their members of Congress. Uh, because while I do not see a public option happening in the short term, I do think over the long term, it is something that we really need to communicate to members of Congress of why this is not the best way of getting everyone covered with affordable insurance. Because I do think it is a long term conversation. And the problem with the term public option is who doesn't like to have options? Who doesn't like to have choices? So when it's presented that way to the American public, it sounds like, well, I'd have multiple choices. I could go with Cigna United or this new option that the government's creating. But what will really happen, particularly if you have a public option that reimburses hospitals and doctors at Medicare rates, is that that plan will be really undercut the other ones and you will be left with no choices at all. And so I think, yes, with the Democrats taking control of all of Congress and the White House, there is a potential for the public option. But I do think only having 50 votes in the Senate, it's very hard to see that be able to get through. However, I do think we have to plan the long term. There will be another election in two years. Do the Democrats pick up more House and Senate seats? 
and make that more of a possibility of happening. And therefore, we really need to be convincing people now that the public option is not the way of getting everyone covered, that there are ways of making sure everyone has affordable health insurance in this in this country. And that's the direction that we need to be advocating for. Public option is not some sort of silver bullet that is going to solve our problems. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I think that while the election did tilt the possibility of that in the longer term, the Biden administration is going to still be focused on the pandemic, the economy, and with the election, we're already in campaign mode for 2022. I think that they need to solidify their gains, as Chris said, and perhaps increase them. And then in a second reconciliation, ideas such as that could get some energy. And so to Chris's point, to keep that from happening, we really have to advocate hard before that ever gets any legs. It's important to note, yes, the Democrats have 50 seats in the Senate, but they don't have 50 votes for a public option, that the support is just not there. So we do want to make sure that we remind people of that. One of the coalitions that we're a member of, the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future, does a lot of really great work looking into the candidates and, and then those that obviously win their elections to come to the House and Senate. And looking at the language that they've used through their campaigns and looking at their platforms, especially looking at the Democratic side, whether they have even mentioned public option or Medicare for all, which are two different things, but often get used interchangeably. And with the last congressional cycle, what they found was that the vast majority of Democrats did not run on these things. So where we're hearing those buzzwords a lot when we talk about kind of what could be next at the next big wave in the health insurance markets, it's actually not something that's being discussed at, at that level amongst the members of Congress. Yes, we're going to see these bills introduced. We're going to see possibly some markups, but we're, we're not going to see these pieces come to the floor. So we do want to kind of take that anxiety off of people. But as we've said, and, and Chris and John mentioned this, but just the analogy that we've used in the past to help people kind of visualize this, we're setting the table for advocacy work that's going to be important down the line. And so even though we're saying it's not going to happen within the next two years, probably not four years, we're going to set the table for when we do see something that's coming to the floor, for when dinner will be served so that we'll be ready and that we can make sure that our voice at NAHU is heard about the dangers of the public option. I think if something's likely to happen to the ACA in the short term regarding changes, I think what we're likely to see, and I know talking different agents, they have different thoughts and opinions on this, but changes to the tax credits. Does it go past the 400% of poverty? Are the overall numbers going to increase for the amount of subsidization? Those are the sorts of changes I do think the Democrats taking both the House, the Senate, and the White House back do make it more likely to happen. I know we have members with all sorts of thoughts regarding those subsidies, but I do think those sorts of things are something that became more likely to happen after the Georgia runoffs. Yeah, and short-term limited duration plans that we've talked about before, and Marcy's favorite subject, the Supreme Court decision that could affect pre-existing conditions. Those are still issues that I think we'll see ahead of any action on public option. And I think also some fine tuning. So things like 
resolving the family glitch. That has been a problem for quite some time. That was an unintended consequence of the ACA and is something that both parties agree needs to be resolved. And I agree with subsidies being a piece there. And then possibly looking at, and we've talked about this before with the Supreme Court challenge with Texas v. California, there is a possibility that they could do something that's a little bit better for the appetite of the Republicans and possibly just pass something that includes a severability clause for the ACA so that that could impact the Supreme Court's decision. So again, some smaller pieces, but things that will make a big difference in the long term. Are there any issues NHU is working on that may actually benefit from the Democrats' narrow majority? One of the topics that I do think has an opportunity to move forward, because it's being done on a bipartisan basis, is prescription drug costs. There was already bills passed in the House, and there was a bill passed out of committee in the Senate regarding reducing prescription drug costs. They think that is the place that you can begin moving forward. Now, in the Senate, they were afraid of moving that bill forward because Mitch McConnell has always feared dividing his caucus, putting any bill on the floor that, say, 20 to 30 of his members supported, but the other 20 did not. And so bills that passed out of the Senate Finance Committee last time that do a great job of reducing prescription drug costs were not brought to the floor. I do now think that you have an opportunity to see bills like that pass on a bipartisan basis out of the Senate because Chuck Schumer will not be worried about dividing the Republican caucus. He'll be concerned about keeping his caucus together. So I do think when you look at issues like prescription drugs, we are likely to see things moving forward in the new Congress. I think prescription drugs are going to be a huge issue for for this Congress and something that they will get done. With the bills that Chris was just mentioning, they were very similar between the House and Senate side. The House had a huge support for for theirs, the HR3 bill, the Nancy Pelosi bill. And unfortunately, the game of politics is what really killed that. She had a lot of support for her bill from Republicans and from the president. But with the timing of trying to get this passed and over onto the Senate side, the impeachment trials started. And so, as you can imagine, President Trump was not looking very favorably onto anything that had Nancy Pelosi's name on it. And so this bill really died there, even though it did have bipartisan support. So I think we're going to see some of those pieces reignited here. Now it is time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we are praying for the future of our country and the leaders of our country. This week, we saw something I think none of us ever expected with the riots at the Capitol. Those are halls and rooms that all of us speaking on the podcast have been in. We are used to going through security, having very high respect for those spaces and to see them treated the way that they were this week was very horrifying. And we know this is really hard for everyone watching across the country. And we want to put our words together in a prayer for the future of our country and hope that we can move forward with a new Congress, the 117th Congress, that was so brave to come back and certify those votes hours after the Capitol was taken and move forward with a peaceful transition of power. Cheers. 
thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.